Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey guys, welcome to this week's roundup. This week I am joined by Mark, aka Triforce, from My Life in Gaming. What's up, man? Hey, doing good. Yeah, I'm, uh, thanks thank for having you me. Very much for taking the time to do this. I think we're gonna have some fun running through the news, and there's some cool stuff to talk about this week too. Yeah, I see a lot of things that uh, I'm definitely interested to hear more about. That's for sure. Cool. All right, well, let's we'll jump right into it. All right, first up is a video from my favorite YouTubers, My Life in Gaming. <laughs> What's up, man? Uh, <laughs> so what is this video about? Uh, just a quick rundown of it. Uh, we did a little video about uh, games that are uh, download only in North America, but you can import physical versions from other regions. Like a good example is I Am Setsuna. Uh, on the Switch, you can import the Japanese or Asian release and play it in English. Um, and another is like uh, sort of these small sorts of offshoot games that aren't quite DLC like Ratchet and Clank Quest for Booty or uh, Infamous First Light you can get those on disc in other regions and that's just that's something that we uh, really like awesome well the, the link is down below and anybody that's looking for those definitely check it out up next, Saint has posted another update to the JAG SD project. He showed a 3D model of, or at least a drawing of what the cart's going to look like, uh, and a video of it in action. So that's uh, something I'm looking forward to. Yeah, I've never played a Jaguar myself, but it's it's awesome just to have this kind of technology come around for all these systems, so that you know people can preserve it. Yeah, and you know. You're not missing much on the Jaguar. <laughs> and I hear that, anecdotally, the hardware itself is is pretty shoddy. Yeah, I haven't, I've never owned one that didn't have some kind of major issue with it, and I've had a handful of them. But uh, hopefully this will give people the chance to really try out the library and, and really kind of see. And one of the things that, you know, I, I hate to be like that YouTuber, but sometimes playing the terrible games on the system is just a fun way to really see what it's like. And one of them is Atari carts. So that goes for a ton of money on eBay. And it's obviously a clear ripoff of Mario Mario Kart. And it's terrible. <laughs> so I'd love to try it myself. Yep. All right. Well, I will keep everybody posted when the pre-orders go live. But that's still a little ways out. Next, the Atari box has been announced that it runs on Linux, has an AMD chipset, and will cost at least $250. So I'm not really sure how I feel about this one, you know? Yeah, it feels expensive unless they've got some really ambitious plans for it, and they, I don't think, have really clarified what they're trying to do with it. Yeah, the CEO made some very general statements about how there's so many cool PC games, but most people don't want to hook a PC up to a TV, so this is going to try to fit some kind of niche for that market, but... I don't know, it all sounds like bullshit to me. 
Yeah, I mean, if if it could play like some of the really scalable PC games that could run on lower powered hardware, that would be kind of cool. But I don't really see where the market for that is, especially when some of those really scalable games are already getting ports on systems like, you know, Switch or PS4 or Xbox One. Yep, yep. Well, I guess uh, you know. I guess we'll see when it eventually comes out. I guess it, they're doing an Indiegogo campaign to raise money to to make it happen. Um, and I believe I read that their headquarters is now in New York City. So who knows? Maybe I'll get over there and try to interview the guy or something. Yeah, it seems like a very different Atari from the one we're thinking of. <laughs> Absolutely. So speaking of uh, new boxes being released that may or may not be worth it, uh, the CD box. The Indiegogo campaign for basically the emulator box that plays your games right off of the original discs. Um, You know, we talked about this a little bit last week, and I wasn't ever going to mention it again until the creators really just didn't take a lot of very important concerns seriously. So, you know, I do... I don't share the same opinions that some of the other guys from the roundtable have, uh, but I do do have kind of a, a solid opinion on this in that... You know, and you have something like a Raspberry Pi, and then you have something like, you know, LibRetro, RetroArch, and you put them all together, that's totally fine, right? You have one device that does a million things, you have a bunch of people working on software that they give away for free that does a million things, Um, and I just, I think it's positive. But now you have a group of people that are building something that are relying on licensed code. So... The best example I can give is in one of their videos, they showed it booting the Sega CD BIOS. So they have, they don't own that. They have no right to use that, um, and they're not taking that seriously at all. And there's, you know, a lot of people blur that line between emulation boxes and using, you know, I don't want to say it's not stolen code, but using other people's intellectual property. And for somebody to sell a device that allows you to, to do that stuff, that device could be used for a million things, so whatever you choose to do with it, it's fine. But these guys are marketing a device specifically to people to download these BIOSes illegally and run these games. They, they're doing no production of their own. So, in their responses on Twitter when people asked them about it were, uh, were like, we don't have time to answer all our responses, ha ha ha, yeah, right? Like, that's not... You guys are running an Indiegogo. Like, how are you? How are you not taking very serious questions seriously? Like, I, I don't get it because I love emulation boxes and I, I love the fun that you could have with them. But, I mean, they're literally relying on on stolen stuff to make their box work. So I, I'm assuming they didn't reach out to you guys to do a review on it. No, we haven't heard from them. Uh, I, I looked at uh, another video that, uh, that for someone that they had sent out. I mean, I love the concept behind the box. Uh, I, I, I have honestly not really followed the project uh, that closely up to this point to have an idea of how they're approaching it. You know, from what I'm hearing you say, there are certainly some major issues and concerns that need to be addressed. Uh, things that, you know, very well could result in it possibly not even happening uh but uh i mean you know cd games are definitely a big gap in uh 
in terms of what people have easy access to uh, if they aren't the sort of person that has their original systems hooked up or, or even has those systems at all. Uh, CD systems are a big gap, and that's something that people want to see addressed. And I definitely understand the desire for that. Um, but as for whether this is going to be the device that finally brings that forth in a, in a good way, uh, I mean, I, I could not guess. Yeah, and it's, you know, there's rumors of other people, other companies who are about to launch projects that are, there's similar projects that are going about it in a way where they write their own code to, I guess the best way to, to say is to translate between the CD and the emulation. And then, yeah, they're using a lot of off-the-shelf open-source emulators, but it's their own implementation to make the actual reading of the disks work. Uh, which is the legal way to do it. Because emulating a system is not illegal, but using a BIOS that was written by a company that you know that they didn't give away for free, that is illegal. Right, and, so. and my understanding is that those are tremendously difficult to recreate in an acceptably accurate way to recode a, a new BIOS from, from scratch. And so, so clarify for me, are they, they aren't, shipping the device with the BIOS already on it, but are they giving you the software tools to, in theory, dump your own, but no one's actually going to dump their own? They're just going to download it? They refuse to answer that question when asked. Mm -hmm. And the review units that they sent out already have uh, have the BIOSes on them that are the intellectual property of Sega, Sony, you know, all that stuff. So it's um, it's interesting. it's interesting to see how they're going to go about doing this, because it's you know, I, I, just to repeat myself, if they had a kit, like if they had like a, a do-it-yourself, plug a CD-ROM into a Raspberry Pi kit, you know, like I love those SCART ones they have, so you basically just take the Raspberry Pi, stick it on, and now there you go, here's your CD-ROM drive, and you know, it could play DVDs, and if you, you know, you buy an extra piece of software, it could play Blu-rays, and oh, by the way, it runs emulators too, that, in my opinion, would be awesome, because this is a kit that's designed to do it yourself. But mm-hmm. what they're trying to tell people is they're trying to say that here is a pre-configured solution using software we didn't write, you know, using mm-hmm. BIOSes that we're not supposed to have. So the only ways they could do that is ship it with illegal software on it or tell people, okay, now it's your job to go figure out how to get these working. Right. So the, the, the market... anyway? <laughs> yeah, I mean, so I see the market is kind of being sort of the Retron 5 sort of crowd where... You know, it's it's just people who want a simple way to play the games that they already have or they like to just pick up a few here and there from a retro shop. And, you know, some of the imperfections don't really matter. It's just the, this easy way to play it. And I think that is their market. And that market is not going to want to deal with this BIOS crap. Right, exactly. I mean, they're, they're, hitting, they're hitting a market that nobody wants. The do-it-yourself crowd, you know, that plug-and-play Raspberry Pi CD drive that doesn't exist yet. You know, the do-it-yourself crowd would love stuff like that, but the Retron 5-style crowd wants something that they could just put their disc in and go, and if they don't provide a way to do that legally, um, they, I mean, I don't, I don't think they'd be able to ship product. I think they'd have a cease and desist immediately. So Yeah. Well, that's probably why they're being quiet, but who knows? I mean, I would love to see something like this, uh, you know, actually become a real product, but it, it sounds like there are major questions uh, to be asked. Yep. Well, hopefully those guys will actually take the question seriously this time and not, not, not treat potential customers as a joke like they were on Twitter. Cause that's, uh, 
It's not a great way to get your project funded, guys. <laughs> well, since we've been talking about drama, let's talk about some super serious drama. Apparently, the creator of Super Mario World, one of the people that was working on the actual design, said that when you're riding Yoshi, Mario was actually punching Yoshi in the back of the head. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's always been, you know, kind of one of the interpretations of the sprite. I mean, that's like the first thing you see, but then you think that that can't that can't be what he's doing. Right. It's exact. I mean, I think that's what my little kid brain processed too. Like, no, it, he can't be doing that. That's mean. They wouldn't put a game out for all ages where Mario's just randomly punching his pet in the back of the head. But, but then my my interpretation of uh, when I read about that was that it was actually kind of an interesting process because it sounded like the sprite artist was actually kind of working on designing Yoshi first, and he sort of had sort of this more reptilian sort of beak. And uh, I think it was uh, Tezuka, uh, the director, who said, you know, uh, do, do something a little cuter, you know, sort of drew this more sort of rounded sort of uh, facial feature. Uh, so that sort of struck me as an interesting design process, kind of sprite you know critique on paper and then reinterpret that into sprite uh, it sounded though like uh the original intent for whatever reason was a punch and then they saw a retcon that i think before the game shipped to oh he's pointing because they do show mario's artwork where he's like actually pointing like you know hey get that so i think officially he is pointing but in development uh, I, for whatever reason, I guess that was the original intent. Well, I don't know. I think it's hysterical that it came out like uh, this this late, you know, into the game. I guess you know it's about thirty years almost, so it's mm -hmm. it's kind of funny. But uh, yeah, I just thought that was a neat story. I definitely wanted to share that one. Next on the Schmups forums, uh, Fat Nightmares. Actually, he's a buddy of mine, Xavier. Posted pictures of him getting. A DVDO iScan HD Plus to force 240p mode. So uh, this is pretty neat. You know, so many people I hear say things like, well, why the hell would you want to do that? But there are so many more modern games that are only available in 480p, and forcing them into a 240p mode onto an RGB monitor gets you that exact look of an old school game. So things like, you know, Sonic Mania, of course, that would be great with, or really any of, like, any of the newer old style games. So, do you have a an iScan HD Plus? I know you played with. Oh uh, no! I mean, this is this is kind of news to me. I mean, is it a is it a intentional feature of the hardware, or uh, was he kind of manipulating it in an unexpected way? So it's a little bit of both. Um, the hardware itself is designed so that you could manipulate the image in any way that you would like. And I believe if you enter in custom timings, um, you could actually force it into that mode. And I think there's some caveats. It might not work with every single monitor. You know, uh, I believe anytime you do something like that with the DVDO box, it adds, I think it's less than a frame of lag, but it is a hair of lag. But I mean, on a CRT, which is zero lag, you probably wouldn't notice that anyway. Um, but it's definitely something where if you have an iScan HD+, I would definitely give it a try. 
just yeah. the heck of it. I mean, why not? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I might even think about uh, grabbing it because that's always like forcing to 240p, especially like uh, you know if people are running like PC emulators or something like they want to find a way. How can how can I get that to look like 240p on my TV? Or you know, even something like let's say you know the PS3 for example cannot do 240p but if you want to play uh ps1 games on your ps3 it would be really cool if there was a way that you could play uh you know kind of downscale 480p into 240p and like actually get it to look pretty much like an original playstation yeah i'd really like to know a little bit more about how that works because if it's going 480p to 240p that would be you know that it's very easy but i wonder how it handles 480i I wonder if you could use this device to accept a 480i signal and downscale it to 240. Yeah, maybe with like the laser or something. Yeah, I mean that. I think that would be kind of difficult because, uh, I mean, in theory, like if it's only like showing one of the fields, I mean, each field is going to be shifted. So I don't. Mm. I think that would be a problem for most games, but. I don't know. I don't really know. I, I'd, I'd love to try it myself. How, how much is this? Is this uh, iScan HD? Is it like one of those teensy ones like the iScan Micro? Or is this a full big box like it's the It's a full big box. Edge? And it's okay. one of the ones that are pretty hard to find. Oh, okay. Um, and they weren't too expensive. But, I mean, now that we're talking about this uh, here on the Schmuffs Forum, it's probably going to go up. But I just any more options to force 240p, I think, is good. Because right now you could use the, the Emotia, but those cost at least 200 bucks with the power supply. They used to be a little cheaper. Or you can go the route of the Mimo Genius 2, which I think is over 300 maybe more. Mm. Um, and Marcus mentioned possibly doing a downscaler box like the OSSC, but ah. the opposite. But I don't think that he'd even started development on that. I think that was just an idea. So that would definitely be be a bit more of a, a niche product, but uh, but one that I would buy for sure. Just yeah, me too. Cover it on the show if nothing with, else, right? If you're able to do that with zero lag, you know, or in the the microseconds of lag that the OSSC adds, and uh, yeah, I, I would absolutely buy one just for the hell of it. Yeah. Also on the Shmups forums, some guys were working on an open-source SCART switch, which I thought was a, a pretty cool idea. Um, I'm not sure if you saw that yet, but basically uh, I think they were taking the the cheap garbage ones that they found and pulling the guts out and making a drop-in replacement. So that way they wouldn't have to worry about you know uh, molding of plastic or, or getting any of the shapes, but they were actually just filling the guts with something better. Okay. Um, and the fact that it's open source is great because it's not easy to make a good switch. Um, you know, whenever you have video lines running close to each other, whether it's in a cable or on a switch or something, if they're not run properly, just simply running two lines too close to each other could cause a ton of interference. And which is some of the uh, one of the causes of JL bars on Genesis consoles and some of the crazy interference you have on Master Systems and you know. It, it takes a lot of work to design a device like that without adding any interference to the signal. So um, hopefully it's a project that'll uh, catch on and people will start to really add their, their expertise to. Yeah, I mean, any options for, for SCART switchers, good quality SCART switchers, is, is definitely welcome. Yeah, and uh, shameless plug, if you guys want any more information on switchers check out the my life in gaming video <laughs> yeah we we did put a, quite a lot of research uh and time into that it covers you know uh, uh automatic switches manual switches uh the bandridge the g scart the hydra 
um, and a bunch of component switchers. There's probably a few other things in there I'm I'm forgetting, but yeah, that was uh, that was quite a bit of work. Yep. Well, it was a thorough review, so definitely I'll post a link to that down below as well. Up next, the German store Retromodding has just put up aftermarket controllers. Uh, they have one that's a universal controller for the Atari 5200, ColecoVision, and the Jaguar. And they also have aftermarket spinners out there, um, which, as much as I think the, you know, the multi-controller for the, the 5200 and the Coleco is cool and definitely necessary because some of those controllers were pretty crappy, um, I personally am more interested in the spinners because that's the type of game that you can't, I mean, you can't recreate a spinner game experience on a D-pad. There's just, it's impossible. It's like playing Tempest, uh, Tempest 2000 on the Jaguar on the D-pad versus Tempest using the spinner controller. It's a completely different game. So I was always wondering when somebody would put a really higher quality spinner thing in a box and sell that. Um, but what I would really like is one that's, you know, no lag that has a switch on it that you could switch between any of the consoles that actually accept a spinner. So, uh, Atari Arcade, is there any, can you think of any other spinner controller games off the top of your head? On any uh, yeah, well, you know, I mean, sort of a, a reinterpretation of that sort of input uh, in more modern times, modern-ish, would be like the Bit Trip games, like Bit Trip Beat. Uh, on the Wii, you could like twist the Wii remote and it sort of use the gyro to move the paddle, um, mm-hmm. which, you know, I, I kind of, inter- that's how I interpret it, sort of being a, a modern implementation of that, uh, even though you, your, your hand motion is different, but it's sort of the same sort of uh, gradual uh, turn, you know, as opposed to this. Uh, but yeah, as, as far as like the, <laughs> that's the one game that I hear people rave about on the Jaguar is, is Tempest and people oh, talking great. about the spinner controller and, and people go through great lengths to play that version for some reason. Oh, yeah. uh, I, I can't say that I, I am all that well informed as to why. Uh, something interesting when I clicked one of those links, uh, some of the pictures they posted kind of looked like the traditional, like, uh, I believe Atari 2600 style controller, which mm-hmm. I've actually got a few of those. Haven't really used them, but I just I just happened to have them. Uh, but also some that looked saw some that looked like a Wii nunchuck that had like some sort of knob put onto it. What was that? It's it's the same. I believe it's the same thing. It's just using. I think it actually uses a Wii nunchuck with a spinner on top. So if you prefer that handheld feel, I think you could use that. Yeah. I haven't talked to the guys behind it about it yet, but. Um, uh, but yeah, that's the interpretation I got. Yeah, I mean, that that looks like a, a pretty good way to do it. Well, the one thing I do know for sure, because uh, my cousin Scott went down this road for his arcade stick, is there are definitely varying qualities of spinner controllers, uh, even when you make your own. So buying a higher quality one and putting it in a box would always get you a better experience. And I think there's even people that upgrade the 2600 spinners themselves with these aftermarket parts, but... Um, maybe I'll get one into review, and I'm definitely mailing you the Jaguar spinner controller and a Jaguar so you can try Tempest, because uh, it is a totally different game when you do it that way. All right. Voltar just uploaded another modding video, this one showing tips on how to get the PS1 mod chip installed properly. Uh, and I believe that's for the purpose of region-free and all that stuff. And I, I think you can play backups, too, but I'm way more interested in playing the uh, ROM hacks and, and other regions on there. But 
Man, that guy, you know, uh, I am not great at soldering. I'm good enough to do uh, do a, a lot, but some of the things that he does, you know, in his little tagline, it's that easy, like, or it's that simple. It's it's not that simple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I saw that video. I mean, it's always fun to see, you know, Voltar uh, – uh, doing his doing his magic on system. I didn't I didn't quite know at the time like what I don't know what he's doing. He just he's showing me good practice for working inside a PS one, but I don't know what he's doing. But yeah, I was uh, I was teasing him about that and at the end. I said, well, wait a minute, you didn't even cut the whole or you didn't even show cutting the wires and soldering him. He goes, you need me to show how to cut wires. I said, yeah. Have you ever tried to cut the end of a Kynar wire that's like three millimeters long? It's impossible. What's your trick? Do you like use your pinky? Do you have everything else? He's like, oh, never. Next time. Next time. <laughs> <laughs> so I like the tips. So keep them coming, Voldar. Yeah, I always need to see a little PS one. Ray Command just posted a review of the controller adapter for the Switch, um, and I guess this thing allows you to pair. Uh, certain Bluetooth controllers like PS3, PS4, and Xbox One S, as well as a lot of different USB controllers uh, to the Switch if you prefer to use those. So uh, I actually didn't know about this one. Uh, I checked out most of his video. I was half asleep when I watched it. Sorry, Ray. But um, <laughs> it does it does look like a good alternative if you want to use different controllers than uh, the very expensive you know Switch Pro controller. So. I kind of wonder if the Xbox controllers, you know, since Xbox has A and B reversed from Nintendo standard and X and Y, I wonder if it has an A prompt on screen. I wonder if you're supposed to hit A or B on the Xbox controller. I wonder if they flip it or not. Yeah, yeah, I think Ray goes through that. So uh, the link is in the description, and uh, it's definitely something, you know, I'm not sure if it's something I would buy right away because uh, I do like the SNES controller, uh, the 8-bit do SNES controller. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's whatever. that's that's yeah. great as long as you don't need an analog stick in a game or have to have the the secondary uh, shoulder buttons. But that new one's coming out this month, the one with the home button and the analog sticks. So I guess uh, I guess we'll see, but at least there's options now for the Switch. So uh, definitely check out the video if you're into that. So, riding on the coattails of all the other new mini emulation consoles comes the Commodore 64 Mini. Did you see that one, Mark? <laughs> I, I did. I, I didn't get a. I didn't see a good picture that really gave a sense of what the scale was. But I mean, I always liked the look of that system. I um I I I grew up not using it much, but I grew up with a Commodore VIC 20, which you know aesthetically looks pretty much the same. Yeah, I had a TRS-80, which was similar as well. It had the uh, games on tape cassette tape mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. you know the cartridges in the side and so this is one of the things that I actually I would probably be interested in because a lot of these games like you want you need the keyboard for and it, you know for me it's always about the experience so having that big clunky keyboard would be awesome if I could actually use that one um, but I imagine they said they're going to make two versions a mini and a full sized ah. so I imagine the mini while it might have a functional keyboard just for fun will probably tell you to stick a USB keyboard in there but the full size one I would love to have I think that would be really neat yeah I mean if, if that keyboard is functional did they talk about price because I, I, I'd love to way to explore that a convenient way to explore that library myself um, I can't remember if they mentioned price yet you can actually go through uh I believe Raspberry Pi has some Commodore 64 emulation through there. And I have seen people rig it up so you have a big clunky keyboard and everything's all connected. So, you know, it it, it 
it's a pretty decent solution, but once again, it's a do-it-yourself kit rather, yeah. than, you know, rather than a finished box. Yeah, so. but I, I really do love that aesthetic of this, you know, keyboard that is also the computer, you know, it's just, I'll always love that. Maybe I'll get a bunch of my friends to line up at, like, Target before they open and pretend like we're waiting for the Commodore 64 <laughs> Mini. Just, you know, uh, I'll call some people. You could put up a fake newscast in My Life in Gaming and pretend <laughs> to cover it. That'd be hilarious. Like, well, it looks like Commodore is taking it this time. Yep, <laughs> yep, they're back for real. Uh, oh, well. Uh, I'll let everybody know when uh, when that comes out. Hopefully I'll be able to review it and see what it feels like. After talking about it for a while, Bordy just released to the public his N64 project. So basically, uh, I believe it's called the N64 Advance, and it's kind of like Tim's board, where it's available to be installed in any N64 console, but it has a ton of features. So while you can output RGB, just like Tim's, um, you could also output sync on green, which I'm not sure why you would need to, um, or component video, and you could also line double it to 480p, so you could essentially use this with, like, a VGA monitor, and there's zero lag involved in these things, so if you, uh, like, people that do Smash tournaments or or really kind of any competitive gaming, you could actually go grab some old junky PC monitors and these kits and have a zero lag solution for competition, so that's pretty cool. Wow, yeah, that sounds really cool. Also, just being able to have component natively out of it, line doubled component, that would actually be really cool. I mean, I've got, you know, I've got the uh, the simple RGB mod style, not Tim's board, plus uh, alongside Ultra HDMI. So for me, I feel like I've got everything I I, I could ever dream of wanting for N64. Uh, but I could definitely see uh, see some use for that in a different system, uh, just for more options to hook it up to different things. Now, does it offer, do you know if it offers a de-blur option? Yeah, so that's actually what I was just going to mention, is um, the solution you have is awesome, but if you want to play on an RGB monitor, this has hardware de-blur functions built in. So, Bordy actually wrote firmware for Tim's version, um, which I'm getting back this week. I haven't tried hardware de-blur on an RGB monitor yet, um, but his board has that built in as well. Um, so there's, uh, I believe there's automatic detection as well as switchable if you want it. Um, and there's even a 15-bit color mode, and his has in-game reset features as well. Uh, and I believe he even added optional deinterlacing of 480i to 480p, so that when you're doing it, when you're in 480p mode, it would work for both 240p and 480i. That games. that would actually be really impressive, uh, especially if there's no uh, drop between resolution switches because personally right. i don't play a lot of n64 games that have 480i mm -hmm. content or modes uh for just whatever reason those games aren't really on the top of my n64 list uh but from what i've seen like with the ultra hdmi for example it, it performs you know uh you know it, it sort of got some combing with the deinterlacing i i sort of consider that like the one like weakness of the ultra hdmi mm -hmm. so it would be interesting to see that content deinterlaced uh, alongside seamlessly switching to 240p yeah so 480i is always a, a strange bird and you know the one thing that i do have to point out though is while maybe the they call it the bob deinterlace 
Um, maybe that won't be as good quality in certain situations as TVs might be able to handle. I think the more important thing to look at is if you could plug it into a VGA monitor and have it never switch resolutions. Yes. Always at 480p. Yes. Um, that's good for, you know, that's obviously good for the competition, so you, you only have one monitor. But that's also really good for Twitch streamers as well. Because while it might annoy you and I to hit pause, you know, if our monitor needs to, you know, recalibrate between resolutions, um, you know, I've seen uh, OBS stop working, yes. switch resolutions. I've seen, you know, people can get their streams messed up. So that's definitely something that, uh, I mean, this is, you know, this, this board isn't for everybody, but it's for a lot of people. <laughs> I think a yeah, lot of people would really benefit from these. Do, do you have any idea, any inkling as to the pricing of it yet? Well, uh, as with everything Bordy does, he released it for free. So ah. you could go on OSH Park and download the boards, and then he has uh, installation instructions. It's um, I think this is not hand solder stuff. I mean, if you're an expert, you can, but this is stuff where uh, you know, you need to like uh, a lot of people use solder paste and they line the chips and they actually bake them in an oven and stuff like that. Um, it's uh, it's. It's a complicated install, but hopefully some people, you know, the, the communities of, of people that take advantage of this in a good way um, are growing. So hopefully people will make a bunch of these boards, offer them for sale, offer mm -hmm. them for installation. It's a harder installation than the, the four wires like, uh, like the standard basic N64. It's probably just as complicated as Tim's. But, uh, I mean, I just... I think this is awesome. You know, any hardcore N64 fan will pro uh, that plays on CRTs will probably end up with this at some point or another. Yeah, I've got another system, so I'll have to try it in that one. Absolutely. So I'm sure you've heard about that HDMI cable with anti-aliasing built in, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I read a little bit about it the other day, and people have been asking us a lot of questions about it. Yeah, I get a bunch of emails on it as well, and uh, I remember, I think it's the same basic technology that was released over a year ago, and I think it's uh, in three different cables now, and this is just the newest one to, to surface, but they claim that it does, it's a cable that has a chip built in, so it's powered off of the HDMI uh, power bus itself. And um, it, has, it has a USB power, too. It does? Okay. Yes. And then uh, it says it has no input lag and performs post-processing anti-aliasing. So, I mean, it, it definitely is, is is something that that the knee jerk reaction is is to laugh at that and say that's that's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, I because people were asking us so many questions, and because I'm actually working on episodes right now that are kind of relevant to that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like for example, I, I'm I'm I'd be really curious. What does it? How does it react to 480p? from the OSSC. I'm working on a PlayStation 2 episode right now that might be relevant. Uh, after that, I'm going to be, I'm planning to be working on a uh, episode about playing uh, games on 4K TV, you know, not just 4K games, but also games, you know, from earlier generations. How can you get those games looking best on 4K TV? And whether this thing turns out to be good or bad, mm -hmm. uh, enough people are talking about it. It's making enough waves that I feel like it would be an, uh, a mistake to not test it out and acknowledge it. Um, you know, from some of the stuff I've seen, uh, I'm a little concerned about uh, over-sharpening, any sort of sharpening artifacts. Um I'm not real clear on whether it actually does upscaling inside the cable or if it's just sharpening and anti-aliasing. I'm a little unclear on that. 
Uh, but you know, if you think about the the, it's not that wild of a concept because uh, you know some of the most uh, uh, the in, in, cheapest anti-aliasing methods in terms of resources, you know, is kind of applied in the last minute of the rendering pipeline. Uh, you know, they might not be as, as advanced, you know, um, as some other techniques, but it kind of makes sense that you could apply anti-aliasing to a finished image through a cable. Uh, but I'm obviously still very skeptical if it's going to perform well and not do, uh, not produce artifacts that that I'm really going to dislike. I'm ultimately expecting to to not like it enough to, you know, permanently put it in my setup. But I'm still very interested to see the results. Gotcha. Well, uh, I think I'll wait for your video to pass judgment on it. Then so, I'm uh... I'm waiting for my own video to pass judgment too. <laughs> There's a new demo available for the fan remake Sonic 2 HD, and uh, it looks very cool. I guess they just tried really hard to stay true to the original, but they rewrote everything. All of the, you know, all of the hand-drawn graphics and everything were rewritten in HD, uh, and I think the demo's available for uh, PCs now. So, I love stuff like this. That must have been a tremendous amount of work, right? I mean... Yeah. I mean, I'm not, like, the biggest Sonic fan myself, but I think it's really cool to see this because, you know, like, Sonic Mania, you know, ultimately its roots trace back to to fan projects that, that got Sega's attention, and it's kind of cool that they, you know, seem open to that sort of fan expression, I guess, if you want to call it that. And, and you know, who knows? You know, this this could lead to, to cool things, too. Yeah, you know, I have, I'm have i kind of torn in my opinion because, you know, without a shadow of a doubt, these are people using Sega's IP for their own game. So there's, you know, that's just, there's no questioning that. But at the same time, I can't imagine that this would be anything other than amazing promotion for any other Sonic game that's out right now, you know? Right. I mean, I, I guess my perspective on that is it's really cool when, because if you think about, you know, the what we're doing is kind of just, you know, expressing our uh, uh, enjoyment of games, you know, making videos and stuff like that. Uh, and, and for people who are programmers and, and, and artists, you know, this is kind of their, their way of expressing that. And at the same time, you know, uh, you know, going through the process of, of, of learning how to make a game. Mm. Uh, I don't really know what their experience level is, but I mean, it, you know, I think it's a worthwhile uh, sort of sort of endeavor. And if Sega wants to turn a blind eye to that stuff, I think, you know, that's really cool on them. Yeah, absolutely. It looks like they finally released the first virtual console game on the Switch, which is Mario Brothers Arcade, right? Uh, I guess so. I don't know. Are they are they truly calling this virtual console? I think they're just calling it like archive archives. But for our purposes, I think it's okay if we think of it as a virtual console game. Yeah, I think it's running in an emulator on the Switch. So it, it, whether they call it it or not, it's definitely a um, a virtual console game. So um, yeah, I guess the reviews are, are mediocre. They said it looks like the same weird smearing and effects that were on the um, the Wii U NES virtual. Console. Oh, really? See, I I haven't even looked at anything for it yet. That's that is super disappointing to hear, especially when uh, they they fixed that for the most part. You know, uh, for the NES classic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, um, 
I'm not really into Mario Brothers Arcade. If Scott was here, he'd probably backhand me, but uh, <laughs> it's just not my yeah. favorite game, so I'll yeah, wait until there's one I, I want to play on the, the Switch. Yeah, yeah. Badass Consoles just posted another update tweet for the GC Video X project, uh, which is the external version of the HDMI, HDMI GameCube um, plug-and-play thingy that he's made. And he showed the mold that he was using to make the liquid crystal polymer connectors, which is neat. I love seeing the behind-the-scenes stuff like this. So, um, you know, he's still at it. It's uh, taking infinitely longer than he expected. But, uh, I mean, I, he's really doing the diligence to make sure that each each piece actually is working properly. And I really hope when it's done, it, uh, it'll live up to the hype, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, I, that that has been a long time coming for sure, and I know that uh, that people are are hungry for as many options as they can get uh, for for digital video output for the GameCube. Well, speaking of GC video options, uh, Dan and Greg have collaborated on what they're calling GC Plug. So Dan, aka Citrus Three Thousand PSI. Um, had worked with Unseen to make a very small PCB with the GameCube video board on it. Um, and then Greg uh, Collingall on uh, the forums has made the 3D print of it. And I believe they have some of the first prototypes out, and they have all of the information that you would need online to print and make your own. Um, so this is essentially, you know, I'm, uh, I'm getting one into test soon, and it's looking like this is now a great do-it-yourself solution. Um, you know, there were guys like uh, uh, Leon K. He kept posting pictures of his do-it-yourself internal installations that looked great. It was actually Greg that made the 3D connector for that too, so the HDMI port looked uh, looked factory pretty much. But uh, I just uh, I love the fact that you could do these mods on a GameCube without modding the console itself. Mm -hmm. um, and this looks like it solved a lot of the issues that people were worried about. So each individual pin is separated and isolated. Uh, it's fully enclosed. It's not held together by glue. So uh, I'm really looking forward to trying it out and seeing how it performs. The um, you know the the chip in the programming itself was done by Unseen. And, you know, as long as it's made correctly, it's going to perform perfectly. I just, uh, when I say perform, I mean the actual fit and function of it. You know? mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you think this is going to be an option to pursue if you aren't really a do-it-yourselfer? Or, um, you know, do you think other people are going to be printing these and stuff like that? And, you know. So here's the here's the thing about any time you do 3D printing. Um, it, first of all, to 3D print anything takes forever. So if you have access to one or if you go through some of those sites that uh, actually print for you, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I would think that you could order it, have it printed from these, uh, I forgot the name of the company that does it, but, um, you know, and they'll, they'll send you a 3D printed version. And then the, the chip itself, um, you would have to have somebody manufacture them, it's fine pitch soldering and everything. But I'm sure some people are going to make the boards and sell those. And, um, mm -hmm. The only thing is, when you get it home, anytime you have a 3D print, even if it's on one of the really expensive ones, there's going to be a little bit of differences. Mm -hmm. um, and I, you know, I would like to think that the tolerances would be too much rather than too little, because to be honest, if you 3D print something and you can't fit it in the back of the GameCube, no big deal. Take out some sandpaper, work on it just for a few minutes until it goes in. Whereas if it's too small, you don't want that thing flopping mm -hmm. around down there. But um, I, I hope people embrace this as a great do-it-yourself solution. 
And I just hope, uh, I hope somebody doesn't try to order 20 3D printed cases and 20 boards and try to sell them for 200 mm. bucks each. Uh, but, I mean, it's an open source project, so that's kind of the good and the bad. People could do whatever they'd like with it. So Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to getting my hands on some solution. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I guess there's no word on Zelda X Pro's version 3 or something. He never mm. talked to me again after I uh, posted my thoughts on his board. So, I... Uh, yeah, I, I'm assuming he's pissed at my opinion, but uh, it's you know I'm not wavering on that. I have a pretty solid opinion on it. But hey, we got uh, options now, uh, and hopefully uh, it'll start to work out for people. Cool. Supposedly, the first cracked PS4 games have been posted online, and they're obviously huge. You know, they're going to be full Blu-rays. Which, you know, I don't really know how I feel about that, because I obviously love jailbreaking and hacking everything I own just to see what I could do with it, but I certainly don't advocate piracy at all, you know, especially for brand new games that developers have worked their butts off and they're trying to make a living from. Yeah, it's a little a little soon for that for, for PS4 stuff, but on the flip side, how realistic is it to... Uh, get those emulated anytime soon. I mean, I know that the architecture is obviously very PC-like, so I don't know what kind of lengths are going to have to be gone through uh, to be able to do anything with that, like on a PC. Although, I guess, you know, maybe this is also the sort of thing where, you know, you could just load it up on a PS4, you know, which would, you know, yeah, that would be, well, that would be pretty hard to load it on a PS4, but you have, to, in order to hack a PS4, it, it's really complicated. You mm. need a specific firmware, you need to go through a lengthy process, and I'm not even sure, um, you know, this article posted just said that the first games have been posted. Uh, they didn't say if they've been working on PS4s. Mm. So I really didn't want to dig further into that just because, like I said, I mean, I don't want to. You know, a couple of years from now when the PS5 is out, yes, hack the shit out of it. Let's archive yeah. all these games and make sure they don't get lost to history. But uh, for now, I'd like to I'd like to take a step back and leave that baby. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I agree. Well, since we were just talking about the PS4 and, you know, our, uh, hacked games and everything, it's a good time to mention that the Wii Shop is shutting down... Uh, in about two years, I guess, or, uh, or about a year, so January 31st, uh, 2019. Um, and this is the exact reason why uh, I do love jailbreaking and archiving of these softwares, because once that happens, you're not going to be able to get your Wii games anymore that you bought, and if they were software only, you're screwed. So. Yeah, and and it's actually even more concerning, uh, or more urgent than that, because I, I want to say it's maybe March... Next year, you won't be able to, after that, you won't even be able to add points to buy anything. Yeah. So you can buy stuff up to a certain point, you can add points up to a certain point, then buy stuff up to a certain point, and then after a certain point, which is not that far into the future, you can't even re-download games that aren't installed anymore. And that, I mean, not even to the Wii U. I mean, not just the Wii, the Wii, the the Wii section of the Wii U. Right. Like, that's, I mean, that's, that's really scary, you know. Uh, you know, as soon as I got my Wii U at launch, I did the Wii to Wii U transfer, which I've always regretted because there are so many cool things that you can do with those games on the Wii. You know, vir most virtual console games run in 240p, which is really cool. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, you've got the power to scale uh, uh, the original Wii, you know, through through your, your scaling devices, however you want, whereas your your options over HDMI for the Wii U are much more limited. So now I'm I'm thinking... 
oh, you know, uh, do, are there certain games that I want to rebuy so that I actually have those on on the Wii? And I'm sure, you know, I, I haven't really gone too deep into Homebrew. I have the Homebrew channel installed mainly just as a uh, region unlocking. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but you know, it, it is, you know, stuff like this that drives people to think, hmm, you know, what... You know, you know, what of these old games should I, 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 I pirate, you know, essentially. Uh, I mean, we don't like to think about that, but I, I feel like, I feel like a lot of people really didn't believe that it would come to this point because it does well, they almost didn't grasp seem... the concept of it. You know, they didn't quite grasp that something, you know, you buy a Nintendo game and you keep it and you have it for as long as you want, but you buy that download card and now you essentially are renting the game for as long as the shop is open, and that's yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. And I, I bought a ton of stuff on 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 the Wii Shop, and you know, it's it, it, it was at a time very exciting because it was like kind of aside from downloading a few Steam games, it was like my first time downloading games to a console, and this was like such a novel concept for a brief time. Uh, but I. For me, it creates such distrust. I mean, to see this, I feel like, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think, well, I guess the DSi shop, did that close? I, I think so. I, I wasn't Or, or at least DS. some announcements have been made about, as to its closure. But, you know, this is like the first, like, home console online shop to close, to my my knowledge. And, and that, you know, actually, you know, we people have always worried about that. And I think a lot of, of digital advocates, you know, say, you know, like, oh, it's fine. But for me to actually see that happen for real, like that reinforces my distrust of the longevity of the digital model. And, and you know, I want to play these games uh, forever. I know a lot of people think that, oh, you know, when once that's old, yeah. But, you know, th- yeah, I want to have like access this to this. This is important. Uh stuff like this justifies my all the digital theft i've done over the years and it's just you know like the the games that i love like i remember when skyward sword came out that it was leaked online a couple days earlier i'd already pre-ordered it i had absolutely no reservations about downloading it and playing it early they already got my money i already own the game legally so screw it and same thing with uh, with music when albums used to leak early you know i would pre-order the album i'd see my favorite band's album come up i'm like well it's in the mail to me anyway screw yeah. it. so and and like i say you know I'm, I'm debating which games do i want to rebuy on the wii that i transferred to my wii u now you could probably argue i would be almost justified if i wanted to just you know through whatever homebrew method install that on my original wii because I, I got it on my wii u why shouldn't i but i don't know i'll probably do that on the up and up up until the point that i can't and then what choice do they leave me with? I mean, well, you know, there's games the like the question though, right? So let's say that you want to be as altruistic as possible and you rebuy that game on your Wii. And then, you know, it's uh, February 1st, 2019, the day after the store closes and your Wii dies. So what exactly. Do? I mean, yeah. So then, you know, you, you, you get a, another Wii and then, you know, I you, you have if you want to play those games, you have no choice but emulation. Yeah. And and how can Nintendo even fault you for that? Because they they took away your ability to do that. And right. I understand why they're doing it. It costs money to to keep the, these these servers going and these services going. And and it, and it is silly when you know it's 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 a handful of nerds like us that that want to access to this stuff. Of course, they should take it down. It doesn't make business sense. But at the same time. 
you know, like it's I don't think people should should ever forget that 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 preserving this stuff is never going to be in the industry's interest. And it's always going to have to be the fan efforts. You know, I, I am a hardcore, like play the real cart guy. Like I don't, I'm really not even into ever drives and stuff like that. You know, I buy my games, I play the real discs, the real carts. Uh, but at the same time, I, I really acknowledge that, that, that the efforts that, you know, so-called pirates, if you want to call them that, you know, they are doing a very important preservation effort. And, and this shop closure, uh, highlights that very well. Whether you want to play it on a real Wii or you want to play it on a Wii U or you just want to emulate it, you know, you whatever option you choose, you still need access to those games after you know a a date that is not that far out in the future. It's it's very concerning. Yeah. Well, let that be a lesson to you, kids. When it comes to digital games, buy it right when it comes out to sell uh, to support the developer, and then steal, steal, steal. <laughs> It looks like there's going to be another sale of the CRT Vector Monitor Conversion Kits, um, which I, I missed the first one, and it's it looks like a complicated install, but it looks awesome. I mean, you could take a, any CRT pretty much and uh, rewind it and make it into a color vector monitor. So, wow. Yeah. That, that's insane. I, I, I can't even begin to imagine the process of doing that. Yeah, I imagine it would take a whole weekend to get it done, but... I just I, I I would love more details. Like, what's the biggest CRT you could do it on? Can you take like a thirty-six inch Sony and just have this massive color vector monitor? And you know, and then what's the best way to play those vector games on them? You know, could you do right. a video card on a PC? Do I need something special? Yeah, I mean, what kind of content would you even be able to run on it? Other well, than you know all... vector games, but then and, and then how would you connect them? I'm not real sure. Right, yeah. I mean, it, uh, in a perfect world, you'd have FPGA emulation of a Vectrix mm-hmm. and any of the Vector Graphics arcade games like Star Wars Arcade, but that's, you know, that's pretty far off. So, yeah, uh, if anybody's part of that Facebook group and, and knows all the details, let me know. Uh, and maybe I'll, uh, maybe I'll see if Fred wants to come on and, and talk about it, but uh, yeah, I, I, that stuff to me is pretty awesome. For anybody that was wondering, Evan Amos, the video game photographer, if that's what you want to call him, uh, has posted side-by-side shots of the SNES Classic controller and the actual SNES controller, and it doesn't look like you would be able to to drop in and replace parts, but they are very similar, so it does look like it's still pretty decently built. Corey and I were actually talking about that last night because he was streaming uh, the the SNES Classic, Mm -hmm. um, and... I was asking him what the controller felt like. I'm actually getting the Japanese one just because I happened to be able to get a pre-order. And I was like, eh, I guess I'll stick with it. Um, but uh, so that's still coming. But he I, I was asking about the controller because uh, there I, I don't see people talk about this, but there are to my discovery anyway uh, as far as i have found there are like two kind of different feels of super nintendo controller there's the old style that's kind of got the printed super nintendo logo on the top and then there's a much later style it's got this engraved nintendo logo with the oval around it and to me those even if they are older and very used they have a i wouldn't call them clicky like in the sense that like switch buttons are clicky but they have sort of a very satisfying solid feel to the button and d-pad presses whereas the um, 
earlier Super Nintendo controllers always had what I would describe sort of a mushier feel. Um, and and on my original ones, you know, some of the uh, the direction inputs don't register very well anymore. Um, Corey says that th- that this feels more like the old style of Super Nintendo controller, a little a little bit mushy, uh, which is fine as long as they don't you know start to fail on you. But so it's it's interesting to see uh, the distinction between to d- d- to not only compare it against that one type of controller, but to to you know that there are those kind of two different major types that 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 I'm aware of anyway. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, I actually have, I think, each different version of this NES controller, so I should look into the. When we, you know, I'll do a quick, a quick video, and uh, then you guys go back and do a real video about it. <laughs> and just a bit more SNES Classic news, because I don't really want to talk about that thing too much. Um, but I did see a teardown video posted uh, where they went into technical detail and, and actually showed the chips. Um, and then also 8-Bit Do, 8-Bit Do, whatever, is, um, have their version of a wireless SNES Classic controller. And uh, I will have a very short SNES Classic review by the end of the week. Um, I really, I lost so much interest in all this just because it's just an emulator box. It seems to be a decent one. But the bottom line is, you know, if you are not into this stuff like we are... You buy this thing. You have a bunch of really awesome SNES games on it. It's a pretty decent experience. It's uh, you know, it's less than two frames a lag, or maybe just about at, uh, you know. So it's overall, it's kind of fun for people that just want to have a decent SNES experience. But people like us are never going to want to play with these toys. You know? Yeah, I mean, I, I got an NES Classic when I had an uh, opportunity. And, you know, I, I've, I've hardly used it. Uh, I mean, I just got it for the novelty. And the same thing with, with I'm getting the Super Famicom Classic. It's really just to have it. I mean, it is a neat-looking thing. Actually, to be honest, for me, the bigger selling point is, <laughs> to kind of loop back into the, the concern about the Wii shop closing down, the bigger thing is it's got that Wii uh, controller uh, port. You can use it with your virtual console games and that's that's a big reason i would love to have you know some of those games accessible uh on the wii so yeah the controller for me is a is a big selling point and it sounds like they made some uh scaling improvements particularly for the four by three mode uh to sort of interpolate the pixels so you don't get the shimmer effect on the super nintendo uh it 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 seems like there were some some neat things done but i'm actually surprised that the boards inside are the same thing, because I assumed that the main reason they pulled the NES Classic was to redesign it to be less hackable, and then you open it up and see it's the same thing. I, I figured it would be that they would have gone back to the drawing board, but maybe, maybe not. Yeah. So, um, uh, like I said, I'll post the review up. I have lag tests and stuff on there, side by side pictures, but it's going to be a really short one, just because I just didn't feel the need to do an in depth teardown, and uh, you know. Every time I fire up YouTube, there's 50 unboxing videos for the SNES Classic, and I just, you know, it's uh, it's not for us, unless you well, want a fun toy. Well, if anyone wants to, uh, you know, uh, on My Life in Gaming, we, we were kind of thinking of doing a any uh, Super Nintendo Classic video, just because we did the NES Classic, and we know people are going to ask about it forever, but for now, we're kind of putting that on hold, because uh, if you go to Digital Foundry, John Lineman just put out a very good uh, 30-minute video about it, and, and also kind of, it's also a celebration of Super Nintendo in general, really, uh, but... 
he, he found everything that we ever would have found. Uh, so we feel like it would just kind of be redundant. So if anyone does want like a, a in-depth sort of, you know, video scaler person sort of uh, uh, view on that, uh, check that out on Digital Foundry. Yeah, I'll definitely have the link down below. For anybody interested, I did post a couple of videos this week that shows the difference between shielded and unshielded RGB SCART cables, uh, complete with clickbaity thumbnails and some fun titles. So, I never, uh, I don't want to change my content ever, but just adding a fun title screen and you know making a silly title, uh, I have no problem with. It means I get to introduce my channel to more people. So. Uh, but the, uh, I tried something new this time. The first one, I think it's three minutes long, and it just skips to the end. Here's what Unshielded looks like. Here's what Shielded looks like. This is why it's good to spend extra money. And then the other one's like 20 minutes long, and it breaks down exactly what's happening and um, and then shows a, a way to mod some of the cheaper ones to not suck as much. So definitely interested in if people like the, the separating them or if I should just make one long video or something. But... Uh, you know, it certainly is a, more of a behind-the-scenes look on why, you know, my life in gaming, myself, and a bunch of other places use higher-end equipment to make sure that our comparison pictures are always, you know, repre actual representations of what it is that we're reviewing. Yeah, and I usually myself spend the extra money to get the, the, the properly shielded cables. Although in some circumstances, I you know, I certainly acknowledge it's not always necessary. Uh, you know, for example, I've been testing a bunch of PlayStation cables. Uh, and aside from one generic one that, you know, probably costs like six bucks and it uses sync on composite video, uh, you know, aside from that one, you know, they're all pretty good. Uh, even if they don't have the extra shielding, just because if you're using sync on Luma, like, for PlayStation, for example, it's not a big deal as long as the cable is well made in, in all other regards. Uh, so it depends on the system. It depends on are you using a switcher? What are you connecting it to? But uh, in general, like especially for us, since we're making videos about the video quality, I feel it's 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 best to err on the side of safety and just spend the extra money to get a cable that is that is made with with really the kind of cabling that it should be made with. It's just that the problem is it's more expensive. Yeah. And I think that the the biggest things that uh, or the biggest surprise was that um, you could actually have a cable that syncs on composite video that's flawless, perfect video, perfect audio, mm -hmm. no issues. Absolutely, whatsoever, absolutely. As long as it's really fully shielded. So. Yeah, I you know to be honest, I've got. Uh, I, I, for, I, I can't even remember, you know, I've got my, my AV Famicom and, and, and NES, their RGB mod, and my Super Nintendo and my N64. I know at least one of those cables is sync on composite, and I, I, I've lost track of which one it even is. Because <laughs> it looks as good as the sync on Luma and the uh, C-Sync one, you know, when I, when I try to look at like, it, I don't, the only way I can tell is if I plug it into my N64, which, uh, you know, will not do C-Sync. I'm like, oh, okay, this is probably the sync on composite one. But yeah, that is really what the, the better shielding does, uh, you know, it, and in cases where you might need to use sync on composite, it, it is 100% critical. You have to have that extra shielding or else it's like, why are you even doing RGB because you've got these crawly lines going through it and it's 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 bad bad stuff you know you could easily tell which cables which with the multimeter do you have one of those yet mark <laughs> yeah I, I clicked the link that you sent me and i bought it i haven't taken it out of the box yet and i, I i'm waiting for the moment uh when, when we've got time to uh 
to, to, to test this stuff. I still need to buy two. Uh, I forgot to ask you about that, that thing that I saw in your video that actually holds the wire because I don't think I'm going to be able to be very successful, uh, you oh, know, connecting yeah, to those the things pins. Are, those things are cheap on Amazon too. But yeah, you can literally get an $8 multimeter that uh, for the most part does everything that, you know, it, minor tinkerers would need. Continuity test, resistance test, and voltage, uh, you know, DC voltage. So everybody should have one of those. Okay, now it's time for the Patreon giveaway. Um, this month is another donation from Firebrand X. Uh, I owe that guy big time. Not only does he make us all of our profiles for the Framemeister and the color palettes for the Nest, but uh, he's now donated two awesome things. So we have a Japanese Saturn. Oh, that's yeah. a pretty big deal there. So it it's, looks uh, clean too. It looks mint. Uh, it's the HST3200 model. Um, it looks like it's in pretty much perfect condition. Um, and it comes with uh, two, two controllers, two of the gray controllers. Nice. Um, both of these are in good condition too. In fact, the other one's still wrapped up in bubble wrap, so I don't even want to take that one out. But it is uh, looking good. Um, the other Saturns didn't have blue buttons for the the triggers, did they? No, they're black. They blend in. In fact, until I got my own Saturn, I didn't even know that didn't it had. Realize they were triggers. I know it had shoulder buttons. I, I did get I did get a pair of the Japanese controllers though, because I I, I feel like that classic Japanese color scheme, that gray and blue, is just by far my favorite Saturn. I do wish I had that system. I've just got the the boring black Model 2 uh, from North America. Yep, um, and it comes with uh, composite video cables, but uh, I'm also going to throw in an RGB SCAR cable with it. Uh, I, don't, I think I really have one spare, and it's probably not the best quality, so you might want to use it uh, just to hold you off and then go get one of the fully shielded ones from either of the main cable sellers, but... Uh, at least we'll get you started with the RGB stuff. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this... Uh, now, there's a bunch of different solutions to play U.S. games on this um, via the action replay. You can add a chip to it or uh, Professor Abrasive's Satiator. Is that how you say it? Everybody says that I say it wrong. But that's just going to uh, go into there. Mm -hmm. So whenever mm -hmm. that comes out, you just insert that thing and uh, and then you'd be able to play all regions right from it. So this is a, I mean, this is awesome. This is really that nice is a, of him to donate, you know? That, that is super cool. I'm not going to lie. A good, a good solid minute went by when I was like, maybe I'll keep this one and give away mine. Because <laughs> this is cooler. I'm like, you know, yeah, I'm not that much of a dirtbag. I'm not going to take somebody's donation for myself and swap it out. But I was really tempted because it's, it's cool. It's a neat color. Um, you know, the controllers are, are, are weird in a good way. I mean, I love the different color buttons again. That's just... Yeah. Oh, that's that, that's that's quite a prize. That's quite a prize. Yeah. All right, so time to roll the drawing. Okay, so here we go. Let's start it out. Ryan Hart. All right, dude, you are the winner of a Japanese Sega Saturn. Thank you so much for being a Patreon. I really couldn't do it without you guys' help. And thank you so much to Firebrand X for donating this. You guys are all absolutely freaking amazing. Uh, and I, if I don't hear from you by the end of tomorrow, Ryan, I'll just email you directly. So hopefully uh, hopefully you'll be able to, to watch with everybody else and experience. But uh, 
you know, at least you won. So <laughs> congrats, man. Thank you again for your support and enjoy that very awesome Saturn. Up next is Smoke Monster's Lair. I called it Smoke Monster's Corner last time, but uh, a couple of people reminded me it sounds like I'm putting Smoke Monster in his corner. So, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, not going to do that. But um, I'm not sure how often we can do this. I would hope at least once a month, but uh, I really dug it last time because I like hearing it straight from the guy who has his finger on the pulse. So um, he actually posted another video on his channel that talks about the PS Vita and some of the things that were going on with that. Um, so I'm showing that now and I'll link to it in the description. Definitely check that one out. Uh, but up next here is Smoke Monster just updating us on the latest ROM news. There's a new hack of Hyper Street Fighter 2 the Anniversary Edition by DDJ which allows you to use the character Goki. Um, looks like a pretty simple hack but this is a pretty cool one that I suppose will be seeing eventually converted to the Darksoft CPS2 kit. And uh, as soon as that's available, I'll add it to my roll-up pack, and we can play it on real hardware. There is a new Monster World role-playing game uh, by Max Team, which is built on the RPG Maker 2003 uh, platform, and this is... Not a sequel, prequel, or a remake, but a brand new game in RPG style instead of platforming. Uh, this is Windows only, I believe, and it's not a hack or anything, it's a brand new game, so uh, you can check that out. Okay, we kind of knew this was imminent, and it happened. The Star Fox 2 ROM from the new Super Nintendo Mini has been ripped, and it's circulating various places. And uh, QWERTY Moto was able to flash it to a uh, Stunt Race FX cart and get it to run on real hardware, uh, which is pretty cool. So here it is, maybe for the first time in history, Star Fox 2, the full game playing on a Super Nintendo. <laughs> So speaking of PlayStation, uh, I have to thank Crisk77 at the EP forums uh, for giving me his pre-order code to get a PSIO. So I was able to order one, and that led me to reaching out to a few people about maybe putting together a pack for it. And it turns out that Arithmador, 
uh, also owns a PSIO, and he was the one who did our uh, recent giant Saturn, Rhea, and Phoebe pack. And he agreed to start work on a PSIO pack, which will be freaking huge uh, in size. I think we're talking hundreds of gigabytes, so that's a giant project for him. Uh, he's currently at work on that. We don't have a release date for it, but um, it'll be worth the wait. And I also got a hold of Chris VG at the PSIO forums, who was a user who came up with the script uh, that can automatically retrieve cover art and uh, resize it to the PSIO size, which is pretty cool. So that'll save a lot of time. And uh, Arithmador also had the idea of maybe asking him if he could make the script to generate covers for the HDD loader on the PS2 in case people want to... There's kind of a process to convert PS1 games into ELFs that you can use on PS2. I have a modded PS2 with HDD loader, but I don't use it for PS1 because it's too much work. Uh, anyways, Chris VG is going to update his script to include those covers too, so we'll have basically a pack that you can use either for uh, your PSIO, or you can copy the covers out of it and use them with your uh, HDD loader setup. So lots of cool stuff going on. and. Uh, this is the first time I've ever mentioned it, so this is your exclusive news for the week. Here is a little behind-the-scenes look at how I work on the EverDrive packs. I actually have the entire thread written in BB code on my computer, and I actually edit this document with updates, and I'll compile them for months, and then eventually copy and paste that into the thread when I'm ready to release something. So in here is basically a behind-the-scenes look at all of the different things I have going on. I suppose you could slow the screen down and actually see what I'm doing in the news updates, but I'm not going to do that for you. But just to give you an idea of how complex it is, uh, there's 150,000 characters in here. And uh, the reason I'm talking about the EverDrive packs is because this week, or last week, TJ Stogie released his game series collections for the Turbo Everdrive pack. Uh, the Turbo Everdrive was one of the few Everdrives left that didn't have a game series collection by TJ Stogie. And so let me just pull that up and show you everything that we've got now. I also released uh, an update, update to the whole pack, bumping it to version 4.0 to celebrate that. So uh, my sort of minor additions just included uh, everything from Project Peacock. I did some work on the Shooters Pack for the Hue cards. Uh, there's a new Music Players collections with uh, Hunter's NSF players and a bunch of HES Visual Audio Music Players by Chris Covell. They're really cool. Uh, I also did a small Super Graphics add-on pack update last week, basically just uh, to organize things and clean up some problems. But here is TJ Stogie's new game series collections. We've got best of lists, role-playing games, puzzles, platformers, pinball, uh, beat-em-ups, adventure games, a big sports collection, which is something he always does. You've got everything sorted into multiplayer categories for two, three, four, and five players. And then the shoot 'em ups are also uh, sorted out into the two player shoot 'em ups. We've got 
Sega arcade ports, run and guns. Uh, here's a collection I put together called the PC Engine uh, English Language Games. These are games that are on the PC Engine but should be uh, pretty much playable for English speakers. There's a gambling, fighting, bonks. So a big thanks to TJ Stogie for putting this together. This, these are huge projects and the Turbo Graphics and the PC Engine, it doesn't have a giant library. So I'm really surprised that he was able to come up with such a cool set of uh, collections for it. Uh, you just wouldn't think there would be that many games that fit into so many different categories. So check it out, especially if you're new to the platform or you're not too familiar with it. This is a great way to uh, get introduced. All right, now on to the Q&A stuff. Uh, first one, though, uh, is an apology. I last week showed my MVS machine, and I showed it playing World Heroes, and I completely, like a moron, forgot to thank Dan from Western Arcades in Australia for sending me those World Heroes kits because uh, he knew I was getting an MVS. Uh, I don't think either of us knew how long it would take to actually get the damn thing into my office, but um, uh, now I can actually play a game I enjoy on it while I wait for Darksoft's cart. So thank you very much, Dan. I, I really appreciate that. All right, I guess this one's a question for you, Mark, maybe. Oh. Um, I was wondering, has anybody determined an HDMI switch that's good for gaming? Because there's so much more involved. You know, it has to be... Uh, compliant with all the protocols going through it, or your TV might not see it. There are some HDMI switches that uh, allegedly the one of the HDMI ports doesn't have HDCP on it, so it can mm. be used with capture cards. Um, and I, I ended up getting, uh, I'll show there, but I ended up getting a cheap one. It was like 20 bucks just because of how cheap it was. And I've only tested it with the Switch, the OSSC, and the Analog NT Mini, and all work perfect. Um, I haven't done actual lag tests with it yet, but uh, I mean, I I don't know since it's not doing any processing. I can't really imagine that it would add lag. Yeah, but what's I your mean, experience with that? Well, it, it, when you're talking about lag, I my understanding I haven't really directly tested this myself, but my understanding is that the more devices you have in the chain, uh, you know, switchers, splitters. Uh, it's going to take longer for it to sync. So, for example, uh, if you're using, like, the OSSC uh, and you have a 480i 240p switch, it's going to take longer to resync if you've got more HDMI devices in the chain. I do have a lot of HDMI that devices. That is 100% true. Absolutely. Uh, I've got more. I, I've, ne I've always assumed it's, if, if there's lag, it's not meaningful lag. Um, yeah, it doesn't. I, I there's definitely lag when switching resolutions or resyncing with devices, I mm -hmm. guess, but... I, I don't game, I think once the switch has yeah, been I made, so. I don't think yeah, I don't think there's any mm -hmm. actual like uh, video input yeah. that could be added as long as it's there's no processing going on. So as, mm -hmm. as long as it's not like an upscaling switch or something like that. So so this is um, this is actually a topic that that I've I've been playing some time into because when it comes to 4K, once you're dealing with 4K, like HDMI is not this nice, simple thing anymore. <laughs> uh, no. You know, it used to be, you know, you just buy a cable, you buy the cheapest cable you can, and it's, you know, it just works. Yep. HDMI, you know, the, the old thing that people say is, you know, you know, digital works or it doesn't, right? Well, once yeah. you are, we are pushing HDMI to its limits now, and it is not so simple as it works or it doesn't. Uh, and in very many cases, it doesn't. Uh, I've been trying uh, a, a few switches that are rated for 4K. Um, 4K 60. 
4K 60, that is the very important thing because a lot of times uh, they'll be rated for just like 4K at 30, which if all you do is watch Blu-rays, uh, then then great. But if you are hooking anything else up to it, even if you're thinking, oh, well, my console games don't run at 30 frames per second. You know, most of them might be 30 frames instead of 60 frames. It doesn't matter because your system is always outputting 60 hertz. It doesn't matter what the game is running at internally. Right. So uh, right now I've been using, uh, I actually kind of have two 4K switches that I've been, been testing out. Uh, right now I have hooked up the... Uh, the newest monoprice blackbird switcher uh this got four inputs uh does 4k 60 um and it's been working well every once in a while i've seen my ps4 pro like drop out for a split second but that's only happened like twice and is that Uh, in the middle of the game or is it during loading or switching menu it has been in the middle of the game and not even when uh not even when using hdr content actually it was just 2160p um uh, but I'm not sure. Is it that? Is it my, the length of my cable run? Is it the 4K Blackbird, 4K60 Blackbird splitter right. that I am also routing that through? Uh, I I don't, you know, I but like I say, it's happened like twice in you know a couple of months of using this. I've also got a much cheaper one, uh, and I I can give you the link if you want to put it on screen, uh, that seems to, for the most part, work pretty well. Uh, I can't, I don't, I think it's kind of a generic thing uh, that I got on Amazon for maybe 50-some dollars. Uh, A good bit cheaper than the high-end monoprice ones. Uh, And it's got five inputs, and and for what I used, it seemed to work pretty well. Um, And the other thing to look out for, of course, if you're trying to drive 4K, um, is is you, it, it's worth it to look for cables that say specifically like premium certified, which means that they are rated to carry the full 18 gigabits per second of bandwidth. Uh, because if you if you don't, the, the signal is just not going to get there. Uh, and, and really, it doesn't really the cables don't really cost really any extra when they've got that premium certified. Like that just says yeah, that, that that certification or you know that or, that's not like. Um... You don't have to spend like a hundred dollar monster cable. You just have to no, make no, sure no, that no. you find one that has, you know, four K sixty HDR right, certified. Right. I I've been using the monoprice certified, uh premium certified cable, and they're like the same price practically, maybe a teensy bit like a dollar more or less. Yeah. Uh it's not it's not a significant difference. Um, and in addition, you know, for uh I, I've already got a cable run around my room doing a a thirty foot run. <laughs> Uh, that where I want to put my Xbox One X when that uh, comes out, and I test it with the PS4 Pro, and it seems to su- successfully make that run in 2160p, 30 feet using a two 15 foot premium certified cables using a uh, coupler from Monoprice, which only costs like thirty or twenty dollars, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's going to this. 4K60 Blackbird switcher, which is going to a splitter, which I want to use for capture. But it seems like that's working. You know, maybe over extended uh, gameplay sessions, I'll discover that I might get more of those uh, black screen drops or something. But uh, so far, that seems good. Uh, but I'm going to be putting that stuff through its paces a lot more as I'm working toward working on this TV, this episode that is about playing games, retro games, modern games, any kind of games on a 4K TV, and all the complications that that has, because it is complicated. Yeah, well, uh, please send over the links, I'll post them in the description, and I'll definitely be waiting for that uh, that video to come out. 
Next, Ace actually posted down in the comments of last week to uh, correct a mistake I made. So thank you very much. Uh, he said, there's no such thing as a Super NES on a chip. Every single Super NES hardware clone is a discrete three chipset design with a CPU clone, a single chip clone of the twin PPUs, and a single chip clone of the audio hardware, complemented by RAM chips and a video encoder. So, um... I actually didn't didn't really know that. Uh, I just assumed it was the same as the Genesis or Nessa chip. So thanks very much, Ace, for for uh, clarifying. And hopefully, I'm going to have him on soon to talk about a lot of the work he's done on the Sega boards over the years and a bunch of other cool stuff. So, uh, you know, keep him coming. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Okay, up next, everybody's favorite part of the Q and A when I can't pronounce anything. <laughs> uh, Clint Kalazic. I don't know. What do you Kalazic? think, Mark? I think I absolutely destroyed this poor guy's last name. I'm very sorry, I, I, man. I probably did, too. Um, he, uh, he said he would like to see an overview of all of the different GC video solutions because uh, the information has been spread out pretty far over the past couple months of the roundups. Um, I did give like a very short overview today, but that's coming very soon. So I will have a, a GC video-related episode just dedicated to that coming out, I, I guess, within a month or so. Um, and it's it's not so much a review as it's just going to be a whole overview of everything, just to really have everybody get on the same page and understand where we're at, what it does, who designed it, because that, that one also kind of bugged me from some of those videos mm-hmm. that have been floating around that didn't even mention who designed it, uh, Unseen. You could find them on the Shmups forums. So, yeah, absolutely going to do it, um, and I'll try, uh, I'll try really hard to make sure to keep... Um, uh, whenever I mention something that's been mentioned in another episode, give a very quick synopsis of it for all the, the newcomers because I definitely yeah. want to keep growing the channel and I can't assume everybody's going to know what I talked about two weeks ago. Yeah, and the nice thing about GC Video is people don't have to worry about the features quality being different from version to version. It's just about how well how well do they work, how well do they fit, but the firmware is, you know, yeah. it's Unseen's work, it's 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 the same. It's I'm how well has Unseen's design been implemented into yes. whatever that solution is. So. Yes. Cool. Okay, last one. It's a question from me to anybody out there, including you, Mark, if you know the answer to this one. Okay. Um, I was able to get a 3DS and a new 3DS and kind of experiment with them over the past couple of months. I just got the new 3DS and is there anybody that has a Virtual Boy emulator that runs at full speed? Because it was unplayable on the 3DS, um, and it, it sort of works on the new 3DS, but maybe I'm setting it up wrong, just because I couldn't think of a more perfect scenario to emulate yeah. Virtual Boy. So, uh, Do you mess with that stuff at all? No, I, I've never uh, jailbroken a 3DS, uh, but I mean, that you know, if, if Virtual Boy did work, I mean, that would be a compelling reason to do so i mean you know i've i've, I've got my virtual boy and virtual boy is kind of weird because if i'm not mistaken it runs at 50 hertz um so i don't know if that could possibly cause some issue with with making it run well on a 3ds i don't know well but i could be wrong on that but i'm pretty sure it runs at 50 hertz i uh, i definitely just would like to find some way to keep the virtual boy experience alive if you yes. will so whether it's a an emulator on the 3ds or whether it's something for like the oculus rift or whatever as long as it's you know a low lag emulator or even if somebody just makes like a mario tennis demo where it's you know it doesn't have to be mario obviously because you don't want to get in trouble with nintendo but there's just a dude with a hat and a monkey 
and then you're playing, you know, just, a, I think that would be really neat, just an all red in the same low resolution style, just so mm-hmm. people could really mm-hmm. understand what a virtual boy was all about. Because, um, you know, the, the lack of games is the issue with a virtual boy. It's a cool system, and it does exactly what it was supposed to. It's just, it's pretty heavy. And so you can't like wear it like a helmet. Um, yeah, there aren't a million good games for it. There's only a handful. So. I, I still think it's a very compelling visual effect. Like I, oh, I think, too. other than the fact that the you got one color, you know, the the effect is very nicely done and holds up. It's just not the most comfortable system to uh, play. I'll, I'll always play it lying down and with with the the visor cast sitting exactly what I sitting do, yeah. on my face. I can't I can't do this like lean into it on a table thing. No, I can't do that for more than a minute or two, and my neck hurts. So. <laughs> All right, well, that's it for this week. Thanks so much, Mark, for coming on and, and doing this with me. It's, uh, yeah. it's a lot f- more fun when I do it with somebody else. Oh, yeah, it was, it was fun for me, too. Awesome. You know, Anytime. Uh, this, is, uh, this is something I hope to keep going for, for a while. I enjoy doing it. Um, it seems to help people. And, you know, the whole, the whole site's in the middle of a transition right now, so I, I really want the whole thing to be community-focused. So why not make the weekly roundup community-focused as well, you know? Yeah. Um, how about anything to promote for you guys? What do you guys have coming up? Now, you do a live stream every Sunday, right? That's right. That's right. We, we, we live stream every Sunday on YouTube. If you're, if you're a subscriber, you should get a notification uh, to My Life in Gaming. Uh, we do that every night at 9 Eastern uh, for, for officially two hours, but it tends to be two and a half to almost three hours most Sundays. Uh, so yeah, we do that every week. Uh, we try to have videos every two to three weeks. Sometimes it slips to four, you know, because we, we, we put a lot of like production into our videos and it's, it sometimes takes a little extra time right now. The big thing I'm working on is a, a video all about the PlayStation two, uh, specifically getting the best video quality out of the PlayStation two. And believe it or not it is looking like it's going to be around an hour long, which people are already asking me, like, how is the a PS two video going to be that long? I thought I it would be it. simple. Uh, but you know, and I was thinking that too, cause I'm like, okay, well the PS one video was like, what, like 30 ish minutes. And well, uh, you know, that, that could be played on PS one. That could be played on PS two. That could be played on PS three. Well, you throw PS one out of the mix and you've got a shorter video, right? Well, not really. So because with PS two, you're talking about a lot of different resolutions, which actually comes with a lot of, uh, issues and, and, uh, you've got, uh, uh, different types of component cables and, and, and SCART cables. And you've got sync on green, which is a whole mess unto itself. And, uh, PS3 backward PS2 backwards compatibility on PS3 when I really delved into that I discovered that it was much more interesting than than I had realized cuz I had not actually used the backwards compatibility function for PS2 games on PS3 for quite some time uh, and it actually looks pretty nice if compatibility is not an issue uh, so uh, all kinds of interesting things. I, I, I just was like, I can't cut this out because this is an interesting topic. Uh, so yeah, so I hope you like long videos. It's, it's going to be kind of similar to our Game Boy video in that sense. I freaking love the long ones. I sit on my couch, I crack open a beer, and I just I treat it like I'm watching a documentary. I absolutely <laughs> love the long ones. So. so yeah, so that's coming. Uh, there might be, Corey will probably, possibly edit a video before that's done. Um, you know, so be a little patient, but I am, 
if uh, if I am not finished before Super Mario Odyssey comes out, I might die. <laughs> so uh, my my goal is to have that in people's hands uh, uh, before Mario Odyssey comes out. Awesome. And before we go, I just want to leave you with a clip of my interview with RGT85. I had an absolute blast talking to that dude. He was a whole lot of fun. Turns out we uh, we spent a few years in the same city together, which is very random. Uh, but definitely check out the interview because he's a good dude. Uh, I had a blast talking to him and a lot of very funny parts. But uh, here's just a clip of some of the stuff we talked about that made me laugh. So this other guy that he met was like, hey, I want to do a video series on this, and I'll spotlight the games or whatever. And I'm like, okay, you know, whatever. It's a little friendly competition. So I upload my little shitty show that has um, 480p. Uh, my audio is terrible. I'm reading a script, and, you know, it's just so awkward. And this dude comes along with a fucking $3,000 camera filming at ANC Games in uh, Toronto, Canada, which is a beautiful backdrop. And he's got all this production and lights and music and stuff. And I'm like, this motherfucker, he's making me look like shit. And, like, for the longest time, I hated him so much his name is jason but we're we're actually very good friends now of course but that was sort of my um entry into the world of videos i have no video background i have you know i don't know what the hell i was doing i used windows movie maker like for years like i didn't my my first like 10 15 podcasts were windows movie maker (laughs) like I, i had no idea what i was doing and it was funny because another website um started uh a weekly show similar to mine and um my parents happened to be in town and I was watching it and my dad was like, who's this guy? I was like, oh, he's from another website. He's like, oh, he's doing the same thing you're doing. I was like, yeah. He's like, what's the screen behind him? What's, what's going on there? I was like, oh, that's a green screen. You got a green screen? I'm like, no. He was like, well, you're getting a green screen. This guy can do better than you. And so like he ended up buying me a green screen and like a lighting rig and stuff and all this stuff. And like, so I was like, well, now I have a green screen. I kind of got to learn how to edit, you know, something. So I got a program called Cyberlink Power Director 12.0, which is what I still use today. And I just went along. I learned as I went along. And, uh...